Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. Well, I have a friend that's just a really interesting man. He's the type of guy that you never know what he might do or what he might be into. And so one day, some friends were in his basement, and he tells us that when he built out his basement, he made a secret room. And sure enough, there was a hidden button that when he hit it, it unhinged a wall. The wall moves and you can go back into a hidden bunker. And so we go back in there to see this room and he has all of the food that you could possibly need, all of the water. It's like, okay, I think he's a a prepper. And he's ready, he's got paper goods, but not only is he prepared for like martial law, I mean, he's prepared for the zombie apocalypse. He has a whole wall of just guns upon guns upon guns, including a flamethrower. And so if, if like, me having the vaccine turns me into a zombie, he's ready to take me out. Like he's ready. If this happens, if it goes down, he is prepared, right? And so when people become preppers, whether it's on a a low scale or large scale, the idea is if something goes wrong, we are ready. Well, when it comes to our faith, specifically when we have faith in who Jesus really is, we need to know that there will be times when we're pressed in on. There will be times when our faith will need to be shored up. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to have a firm faith. And so today, as John is writing to this church, he's showing them the the reality that faith will come under pressure and then showing us the need for Christians to be spiritually and intellectually ready so that we can stand firm with who Jesus truly is. And so if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 John, and we're gonna start in um, chapter two, verse 18. He begins by saying this, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. So he begins by saying children. That's an important phrase Throughout this letter, it lets us know that John is writing with a father's heart. He's writing to a church that would have had kids of some of his closest friends, that would have had grandkids of some of his closest friends amongst the congregation. So he deeply cares about them. And so there's this threat in the church of false teachers. And so because he's a good dad, a good father, he wants to warn the people about the dangers. He wants to protect them from danger, and he wants to prepare them with the tools necessary to stand firm on their own, right? So he's he's kind of turning up the heat on the false teachers that are present by warning people, preparing people, and getting them ready to be protected. Now, um, when we look at this, he says the last hour is at hand, or the last hour is here. And so maybe you're reading that and you're thinking, does this mean that Jesus is going to return? Is that what he's talking about? Well, the last hour means that Jesus could come back at any moment. So we know before Jesus comes back, there's gonna be great hostility towards Christians. His church is experiencing that. We know there's going to be mass apostasy. If you're like, what in the world does apostasy mean? That is people that were once Christians 
now denying their faith or walking away from it. And so this church is experiencing a lot of people walking away from their faith. And there's also going to be this antichrist. And so he looks at it, he's like, look, these things are all happening. And so you need to know that Jesus could come back at any moment. Now, some people read this and they go, was he really far off? I mean, it's been 2000 years almost and Jesus still hasn't returned. Well, there's a difference between predicting a date and stating a reality. And so um, there's a guy named William Miller. If you ever study cults and minor religions, you'll read about this guy named William Miller. William Miller predicted that Jesus would come back in 1843. So he, he calculates the, the church calendar stuff and um, Daniel and Revelation, and he's trying to piece it all together. And he's like, this is it. Jesus is coming back in 1843. So all of these people known as Millerites are like, okay, let's sell everything. I mean, like there's no need to hold on to that 401k if Jesus is coming back. So they sell all their stuff. They're waiting for Jesus to take them home. Sure enough, 1843 rolls around and Jesus doesn't return. And people are like, like we lost it all. And so he recalculates the dates, comes up with another date in 1844. Still wrong, right? The difference between John and William Miller is John's not saying this is when Jesus will return. He is saying that Jesus could return. And so we need to know that Jesus could return at any moment, which means as Christians, the proper response to that is we need to plan like Jesus isn't coming back for a hundred years, but we need to be prepared as if Jesus was going to return tomorrow. All right, so we need to know because the last hour is here, we should plan like Jesus isn't coming back for another hundred years, but we should be prepared for Jesus to come back tomorrow. Then he, he mentions the Antichrist, which I know people hear that and you're like, man, is that, is that Bin Laden? Was Bin Laden the Antichrist? I've heard this before. People are like, look, it says the Antichrist in Revelation will come out of the sea with a wound to his heads. The Navy SEALs double tap Bin Laden in the head, brought him on a ship and they threw him over into the ocean. So is he, the, is he gonna come back to life? I'm like, I don't know if he does, like, like there it is, right? Like, I don't know, but like, but there's, there, sometimes scripture talks about this capital A Antichrist, a singular person who will be present before Jesus shows up. But another sense of the term Antichrist, it's this anti-Jesus spirit, right? And so what we see is that throughout history, this spirit, this anti-Jesus spirit, infiltrates some people to do horrific things. And so you could look at Hitler and say he was an antichrist type. He was a little a lowercase a antichrist, right? But even if it's not just evil things, the the spirit of the antichrist, the anti-Jesus spirit is at work in the church. It's been at work in the church in, in John's time. It's been at work throughout church history, and it is still at work today. So we're going to come back and explain how the spirit of the Antichrist, how this anti-Jesus spirit is still at work in the church today, which should clue you in to why you need to be prepared both intellectually and spiritually. Okay, continuing on. Verse 19, he says, they, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So who are the they? The they are people who have been affected by the spirit of the Antichrist. The people that have, have fallen away are people that are being affected by the spirit of the Antichrist or this anti-Jesus spirit. And so when it says that they went out from us, that means that there was a season of life for who knows how long. I mean, it might've been years upon years upon years where people were claiming to be Christians 
where people legitimately thought, no, that person knows and loves Jesus. So they're, they're looking at them, but then given enough time, eventually they walk away. They walk away from their faith. And so what he's saying is, look, these people prove to not have genuine faith. And so some look at this verse and go, does this mean Christians can lose their salvation? They went from us, but they weren't among us. What John would say is you can't lose your salvation, but you can fake being a Christian. And so these people who were, who were like the antichrist spirit in the church, they faked being Christians until they were exposed. Okay, and so think about it like this. When I was in high school, I had a good buddy that we, we memorized scripture together, we studied scripture together. Our senior year, we started a Bible study. Just It was outside of youth group. It wasn't on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. This was just in the middle of the week. We said, let's get together and study God's word. And so that Bible study grew from five students to over 40 students throughout the course of our senior year. We go to college together, same college, we join the same fraternity, and we have the same heart of, man, let's continue to push forth for God's kingdom. And so we even dream about one day starting a church. We called it Project 242. And so we had this idea of what if we started a church that looked like Acts 2, verse 42, a church that was focused on the apostles' teachings, the breaking of bread and prayer and fellowship. Let's just do those things. And so we dreamed of one day starting a church together. Then um, we were in college and John MacArthur was speaking and we listened to him and we're like, who's that? He, a Bible commentator, author, pastor, seminary president. And so we're listening to him speak. And he said, when I went to seminary, I went with one of my closest friends. And in the middle of seminary, he walked away from his faith. And he said, so before you go to seminary, make sure that you are truly saved. And so I remember my friend and I were looking at each other and we were thinking like, could one of us, like, could that be one of us? Like, what if we walked away from our faith? Not us, never gonna happen. Well, fast forward to today and sure enough, he's walked away. He has walked away from his faith. And it's hard because you look at that and you're like, we were at summer camp together and felt the same movement of the Holy Spirit. We led that Bible study together and saw people's lives changed. Like we, we could go on and on and on about experiencing the same things. So I look at that, I'm like, oh, like what happened? And so as we read verse 19, here's, here's what we need to know. Um, there will be people in your life that you believe to be Christians. People that you've had the same experiences with who will one day walk away from Jesus. I'm not saying like they went to a new church. It's not like, I don't like this church, I'm gonna go over here. I'm talking about walking away from Jesus. And when that happens, it's probably gonna be confusing, super confusing. It should be sad. It should make you really sad that someone would walk away, but it shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be surprising. We know these things are gonna happen. Jesus even warned us about this in his parable of the seed sower, right? So we have people who are walking away from their faith. And maybe you're wondering right now, like me and my friend wondered in college, like, could that be me? Could I walk away? Well, look at verse 20. He says, but you, so you is different than they of verse 19. So verse 19, they, verse 20, you. He's talking about legit Christians. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And so he talks about this anointing. And the anointing he's referring to is that knowledge of Jesus for the true Christian isn't just an intellectual assent. The anointing that we receive as Christians happens when the knowledge of Jesus 
makes the 11-inch journey from our head to our hearts and truly transforms us. And so, so when your knowledge moves to your heart, it seals you with the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means you won't walk away. Um, think about it like this. Um, we've got kids in today's service. So let's say we go to Napa, California for a grape juice tasting, all right? And so like we're, we're going and we're gonna taste different types of grape juice. And you're like, I know what he's talking about, good. All right, so like let's say you're doing a grape juice tasting and um, you could take that grape juice and you, you could swirl it. You could smell it. Is that hints of earth and oak and leather? Like, like, and then you could even taste it, right? But if, if you wanna make it through a full tasting, you're not swallowing it right? Because that would have an effect on your cognitive abilities. So you taste it, and then what do you do? You might spit it out, right? So you're tasting it, but you're not consuming it. So in verse 19, when it says they, these are people who have tasted Jesus. These are people who have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Like they've, 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 spirit, they've smelled the aroma of God's goodness, but they've never internalized it. Verse 20 is saying, but no, no, the true Christian has internalized it in such a way that it's affecting all of their lives. And so for those who, who don't just know Jesus but have been transformed by Jesus, our confidence is that we are held by the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm gonna tell you a crazy story and some of you might believe me, some of you might not, okay? But when I was in seminary, I was really bad at Greek. And, um, and so my seminary prided itself on being an elite academic institution. And so they would say that one semester of our Greek was the equivalent of any other seminaries two semesters. So they really prided themselves on being tough with the languages. And so I probably should have gone to another seminary because I was horrible. And so I was studying for my Greek syntax class um, 10 hours a week. I kid you not, 10 hours a week just for one class. And I had a test coming up where we were translating 1 John, like what we're preaching. You're like, does he know it? Like, and so we're translating 1 John and I'm studying and studying and freaking out and freaking out and studying and studying. And I have my first ever anxiety attack or panic attack, not sure what it was, but literally I collapsed on the bathroom floor and I was rolling back and forth saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And my roommate walked in and saw me in this state. So, so he helps me to get up and get it back together. And, and eventually I make it to class. I take the test, which is not multiple choice. It's like you either can translate this and diagram sentences or you can't. And I'm, I, when my test grade came back, I made a 50. Like I did bad. And so then I'm walking in defeat knowing I probably bombed that test. And I go to my next class just defeated. And, and people are just flipping through notes. They're like, and I look at a guy and I go, do we have a test? And he goes, yes. Are, are you kidding? He looks at me and goes, are you kidding? Turns out I was so consumed with studying for Greek that I missed having another test. And so I was like, oh my goodness. And so, so I had to take a test without studying it. And it was basically an overview of knowing Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians. And I was like, it's oh, a lot of information. Thankfully, I kind of, I do know the Bible. And, uh, and so I was able to pass that test, not with flying colors, colors, but I passed the test, okay? But that night, I was in a dark place, okay? I was struggling. And so I keep a prayer journal. This prayer journal is currently in my office. And so I'm prayer journaling and I'm like, God, if you've called me to ministry and a prerequisite for me being in ministry is knowing Greek, then why am I so bad at it? And then, like I said, this is a dark moment. And so I'm like, God, that just feels kind of cruel. 
And I'm like, what kind of God would do this? And, and so I start questioning my faith. And I'm like, God, are, are you even real? I mean, like, if, or, I say you're real and I think you're good, but why, why would this happen to me? Why would, I, why would I collapse in a bathroom freaking out because of this? Like, what's going on? And, and I'm like, God, because God, if you're not real, if you're not real, I'm not just walking away from this. I'm going to rail against you because I've wasted so much of my life if you're not true, and I don't want other people to waste their lives. And I kid you not, this is written in my journal. I go, who am I even praying to? Like, I'm like, I don't even, like, if you're not real, like, what am I even doing in this moment? And so in this moment, in one of my darkest places in my spiritual journey of just questioning everything, it felt like God spoke to me audibly, but no one at my table heard it, so I know it wasn't audible, but it felt audible. God said, Jeff, you will never leave me because I hold your heart. Jeff, you will never walk away because I hold your heart. And so what I know is that that truth that God spoke to me aligns with scripture. And so I believe it was the Holy Spirit bringing to my mind what I knew to be true when I needed it most. So I put my pen down, I closed my journal, I walked to the bathroom and I locked the door and I raised my hands and began to worship God. I worship God because my faith is secured, not by me, but by the Holy Spirit or by God who holds my heart. So a question that you need to ask yourself is when it comes to the security of your faith or security in your salvation, is it based on what you hold on to or is it based on who's holding on to you? Is your security in salvation based on what you're holding on to or is it based on who's holding on to you? I have, I have spiritual conversations all the time, both with, it, with people in Redeemer and people throughout town. And I'm always amazed when people will say, like, I'm good because my parents had me baptized as a baby. Like, like I was baptized, and so, so I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm set. Their, their confidence is in their baptism. I meet people who are like, no, no, like I went through a confirmation class. Like, yeah, I haven't been to church in 20 years, um, but like I went through that confirmation class, so I know the right answers. I'm, I'm good. And, and other people are like, well, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I feel like if compared to others, like at least I'm not that person or that person. So, I'm pretty, so I feel like God will let me in. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. And these are, these are honest answers from people in our context. And the truth is, though, is that none of these things they're holding on to will sustain them to the end. The only thing that will sustain your salvation is faith in Christ and Christ alone. And for those who are Christians, we can rest in knowing that our heart is held by our Father God through the sealing and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 21, um, or 22 through 23. He says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Okay, so now we have a definition of what the Antichrist is. We have a definition of what this anti-Jesus spirit is that has been at work in the church for 2,000 years. The anti-Jesus, the Antichrist spirit is this. It's those who deny Jesus for who he has revealed himself to be. The spirit of the Antichrist, this anti-Jesus spirit, which is at work today, seeks to deny Jesus for who he has revealed himself to be. 
Some people directly deny Jesus. Like they're, they're not refuting the claims of scripture. They're not refuting who we say Jesus historically is. They're just like, I'm against that. Like I'm against who Jesus is. Like, so they're directly denying Jesus. But there's another way that people deny Jesus and that's more indirectly. And people indirectly deny who Jesus has revealed himself to be when they seek to redefine him to be more compelling to the world that we're in. When people seek to make Jesus more relevant or more acceptable or more palatable to our culture, to make Jesus fit in, they're operating under the anti-Jesus, anti-Christ spirit, which is at work. And so if you're wondering, like, if you're wondering like what does that look like, Jeff? Well, here's one way it looks. Um, there are people who would say, okay, Jesus isn't really God. Like he was a great human. He was, he was someone that was anointed. He was a spiritual leader, but he was ultimately just a man. He was a good teacher like Gandhi or like Martin Luther King Jr. And he did good in the world. And we can tweet his quotes and, and look at him and celebrate him, but he's not God. And so that might sound good. You're like, well, at least they don't dislike Jesus. But that idea of Jesus being just a good teacher is an anti-Christ, anti-Jesus spirit working within the church. Um, there are other people who look at Jesus and they're like, look, he wasn't a, a miracle worker. Like he never really turned water to wine. He never walked on water. He never fed 5,000 people. Those were all just symbolic things um, that had different meaning, but they weren't literal events. And this idea of taking away the miraculous is redefining who Jesus is. And that, that, I, that pressure to be like, well, culture won't accept miracles. So let's do away with them to make Jesus more compelling. That is the spirit of the Antichrist at work. Okay, let's just make everybody mad today. Like, we already got a low crowd. Let's thin it out more. Um, when your Jesus looks like a member of the squad, that's a false Jesus. All right, half the people mad. When your Jesus looks like Donald Trump, that's the anti-Jesus spirit. Look, like, like these, these ideas and these pictures of who people are creating Jesus to be, that's not who he's revealed himself to be, is an anti-Jesus, anti-Christ spirit at work. And it exists not just within church culture in America, it is existing within Redeemer right now. People are seeking to redefine Jesus to make him, quote, more compelling or more attractive to the world that we're in. And so they're taking things away. Well, Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't condemn or judge that sinful activity. Look at the woman caught in adultery. Look at the woman caught in adultery. He doesn't condemn her, but he absolutely condemns the activity. So Jesus doesn't take things that the Bible like, clearly calls sin and then begin to celebrate it. Like he condemns it. He judges it. That's why he went to the cross to die for it. All right, so we can't redefine Jesus in any attempt to make him more compelling or more attractive to the world by reshaping him from who he's revealed himself to be is the spirit of the Antichrist at work. And I, I, maybe you're hearing this right now and you're like, Jeff, this seems a little extreme. Hold on to the end. Hold on to the end because I promise you the language John is using is very intentional and we need to hear it with the weight in which he intended us to hear it with, okay? And so what I want you to know today, the big takeaway is this. As Christians, we need to have an awareness of how the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the church today. There will always be people 
And there always have been people who have tried to recreate Jesus to be more compelling to culture. And for this reason, we need to be prepared both intellectually and spiritually with readiness. Okay, I know it's like, that's not a sticky one-liner. It's like, Jeff, did you take Andy Stanley's preaching class? Because I can't remember that. Like, I'll just say it again. We need to have an awareness of how the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the church today. There will always be people who are seeking to redefine, to reshape Jesus, to be more attractive, more relevant, more compelling to our culture. Therefore, we need to be prepared with an intellectual and spiritual readiness so we can stand firm for truth. So we can stand firm in our faith in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. Okay, we need to, we need to have an intellectual and spiritual readiness. So what do we do with this? How can we be prepared intellectually, and how can we be prepared spiritually? Well, John gives us two things, right? The first thing John talks about is this intellectual readiness. Look at verses 24 through 25. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. Okay, when he talks about coming back to what you have heard from the beginning, that's a really important phrase through the letter of 1 John. So if you, if you look at my Bible, every time it says from the beginning, it's circled, it's circled, it's circled. And so what he is showing us is that the, the knowledge we have of Jesus isn't something that shifts and changes or progresses or unfolds to be something new over time, but the knowledge we have of Jesus is concrete. It's rooted in Jesus who is eternal from the beginning. It's rooted in Jesus who is unchanging. He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. From the beginning shows us that Christian truth is not progressive truth. Okay, and so maybe you're like, I don't know what progressive means. I hear that word thrown around. When I was in college, there was this emerging church movement with progressive Christianity where people were trying to reshape who Jesus is to make Jesus more compelling, which was the work of the Antichrist within church culture. Those people went away. They disappeared, went into irrelevancy, and now they've reappeared. They're like, hey, I'm back. And they've just redefined their terms. They've taken progressive Christianity. Like, well, no, we don't believe in progressive truth. We believe in unfolding truth. Like, what do you mean by that? Well, it changes over time. It means something different now. You're like, you just literally changed the definition, like the your same definition, different word. Like it's, it's still here, which means people are trying to reshape Jesus to make him more compelling, which means the work of the Antichrist is still present in our church today. And we need to be aware of that. We need to have an intellectual readiness, which comes from, knowing truth, which is rooted in Jesus, who is unchanging and who is the same from the beginning, right? So, so how do we root ourselves in that truth? It talks about abiding, abiding. That word is so crucial because look, it's one thing to intellectually ascend with knowledge, right? That's the they of verse 19. These are people who had intellectual knowledge. It's another thing to let that knowledge transform you with consuming that truth. So when you think about it, what does it mean to consume, to consume God's word, to consume God's truth, to consume Jesus? It means to internalize him, 
not just to know about him, but to internalize him in such a way that he transforms all of who you are. Look, and the only way to know who Jesus is is through God's specific revelation of himself. Like there's general revelation, like God exists, look at nature, but specifically it comes from God's word, which is God's revelation of himself to us. And all of scripture is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about him. But there's this huge issue in our culture right now. We have a massive biblical illiteracy problem with the American church. We have a massive biblical illiteracy problem with the church. Um, if, if you don't believe me, there's a ministry called Ligonier Ministries. I think it was founded by R.C. Sproul. But every two years, they do a, a big study called the State of Theology. So you can literally go Google thestateoftheology.com, and it will show you what do Americans believe about theological issues, and then it will contrast that with what do professing Christians believe about theological issues. And it's, it's alarming to see what people who claim to be Christians believe about God. I mean, like, it's like almost, almost 50% of professing Christians are like, yeah, Jesus changes. Jesus changes with time. He might have thought that was wrong back then, but now he doesn't. He would celebrate it. Are you kidding me? Like, that's a massive issue that comes from biblical illiteracy. Like, but I'm telling you, like, with Redeemer, I'm so encouraged. We, we, last week, we put out the challenge of raising up a generation of people who would want to know God's word. And over 60 people are like, I'm in. If you're talking about hunkering down for three hours and doing a deep dive, I'm in. That was 60 people last week and over 30 people responded after the fact to say, hey, I didn't get to fill out a connect card, but I'm in. There was a movement within our church of people saying, I wanna know God. I wanna know him, not for who I want him to be, but for who he's revealed himself to be, which I know is through God's word. Like, so let's go. If you're like, when are we doing this, Jeff? Like, I'm thinking second Sunday of November. Just, that's a tentative date, more details to come, but I'm thinking the second week of November, that Sunday, let's hunker down for three hours and let's know God's word. Let's teach you how to study it. Let's teach you how to abide in it in such a way that it internalizes in you and begins to change your life. But we need an intellectual readiness. Intellectual readiness comes from knowing Jesus for who he is, not for who you want him to be. And the only way to truly know Jesus is through God's specific revelation of himself given to us through his word or through scripture. Okay, so that's intellectual readiness. The second thing we need to be prepared for bad doctrine and false teaching that people are trying to pull us away from who Jesus is, the second thing we need is spiritual readiness. Look at verses 26 and 27. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Hear me. The same spirit that was existing in John's church of people trying to deceive you and to lead you astray is at work today. We need to be aware of that. But the anointing, that's the same anointing he's talked about in verse 20. The anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So let me, let me explain what's happening in this church. So if, if you're to study church history and look at historically what's happening, there are people that were teaching a false Jesus. They're like, Jesus was just a human, not, not fully God. They were teaching a false Jesus. And what they were doing is they were claiming 
a special word from the Holy Spirit. They're like, the Holy Spirit told me. And then they're saying this. And people were going, I mean, if the Holy Spirit told them, then how do I question that? I mean, like, I don't hear the Holy Spirit. Like, maybe they've tapped into something that I've never tapped into. Like, what in the world's going on here? It reminds me of this. When I was, when I was a kid, I played basketball in my driveway almost every day. We literally, we had a sheet of paper in my garage that had every neighborhood kid with one-on-one matchups and the records. So I can know how many times I beat Matt. Matt can know how many times he beat Alan. Alan can know how many times he beat Philip. Like we kept track of these one-on-one games, but for the game to count, there had to be a ref present. And so one of us would be the ref while two other people played. And so you're watching the game and then you'd, you'd call a foul. You're like, Brr! like, Alan, you fouled Matt. And then Alan would be like, I didn't foul, I didn't touch him. And Matt's like, yeah, I did. Give me my free throw shots. And Alan would be like, I didn't touch him. And then you're like, he's like, he's like, and like Matt's like, look at my arm. There's Alan's handprint. Like it matches, it fits the crime, the glove fits. And like, and Alan, and Alan would say this, I swear to God, I didn't touch him. And it's like that trump card, right? The, the I swear to God moment. You're like, I can't question that because I mean, that's a big, that's a big deal. And so in the same way, when people said the Holy Spirit told me, people felt like that was the trump card. They're like, well, who am I to question that, right? And so how, how, do, we, how do we contest when people are saying, well, the Holy Spirit told me this? Well, the Holy Spirit does two things. We see in verse 27. The first thing is the Holy Spirit reminds us of what is true. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he reminds us of what is true, and so what we need to know is that when the Holy Spirit reminds us of what's true, if what's true contradicts what someone else is saying, it's not your Holy Spirit that needs to be in check, it's theirs. So the Holy Spirit will always align your heart to what's true in Scripture. And if someone teaches you something that's contrary to what Scripture says, they're not operating with a true anointing of the Holy Spirit, they're operating with an anointing of a fraudulent spirit, and I would say the Spirit of the Antichrist, okay? So the first thing we need know is that the Spirit reminds us of what's true. But for the Holy Spirit to remind us of something, guess what? You first need to have read it at some point. Like the Holy Spirit can't remind you of something you've never known. I think sometimes, have you guys ever seen the movie The Matrix? Is that completely out of date by now? All right, like, so at one point, Keanu Reeves is like getting karate downloaded into his brain. He's like, I know Kung Fu, show me, right? It's like, like he just learned it because it was downloaded into his brain. I think sometimes we wish that's how biblical knowledge would happen. Like, can I just sleep on my Bible tonight and wake up and be like, I know it all. Like, I got it down. Like, no, it doesn't happen that way. The way that you gain knowledge that can be recalled on is through abiding in God's word. And so when you do your part of abiding in God's word and knowing God's word, the Holy Spirit does his part by reminding you what you know and reminding you of what's true when you need it most, specifically when someone's trying to lead you astray. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he reminds you of what's true. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is he helps you to, dis- to, di- he helps you to discern what is fake. He, help, he reminds you of what's true and he helps you to discern what's fake. Um, I had a friend that um, went vegan. Anybody ever have a friend go vegan on them? It's like one day you're eating steak and the next day they're like, I don't touch that stuff anymore. It's evil. You're like, what? Like, so I had a friend that went vegan and they were trying to convince me that like their food tasted just the same. And they're like, you got to try my wife's burrito. My wife's burrito is like the real deal. And so I went to their house, they fixed up burritos, and no joke, I bit into the burrito and it was good. I was like, this, 
Like, this is actually pretty good. It tastes like Taco Bell. And they're like, what? I was like, it's not real, though. I was like, it, it, I was like, it tastes like I was like, Taco Bell's not real, and so um, so I'm like, it doesn't taste real though, and they're like, they're like, are you sure? And so I asked, them, I was like, what is in that though? Because it has this texture, and they said it's TVP, it's textured vegetable protein. Turns out Taco Bell was literally putting TVP in their stuff. So I was like, it's true, it was it was Taco Bell, right? But like because I had had the real thing, like I'm like a Tex-Mex guy at heart. Like I love me some Tex-Mex. You can't fool me. You can't bring me TVP and try to pass this off as 80-20 beef. Like, it's not going to work because when you've tasted the real thing, you can identify a counterfeit, right? And so what we're seeing here with the, the Holy Spirit is when you've tasted Jesus and consumed him or internalized him to the point that the Holy Spirit seals your heart, when you know Jesus for who he truly is, you will be able to discern anything that's not the real deal. Okay, so spiritual readiness comes from experiencing the real Jesus. And when you've tasted and consumed the real thing, you will have the ability, ability to discern what's fake. So let me tell you, let's wrap up with this. Um, the Antichrist language, if you're like, that seems a little extreme, try being in my shoes, spinning around in a circle, looking at everyone's face. You're like, Jeff, that sounds extreme, right? Like I'm saying Antichrist a lot, and I get it, like it's, it's weird, it feels, it feels heavy, but here's what you need to know. John, as a good spiritual father, cares so deeply about people knowing the real Jesus because a fake Jesus, a redefined Jesus, a Jesus who has been reworked to be more compelling and more attractive to our culture is a Jesus who cannot save. That is a Jesus who cannot transform. That is a Jesus who cannot sustain you to the end. And so if people are being led astray and putting their faith into a fake Jesus, that is a huge deal. And so John warns them with strong language to realize that any attempt to get people to look to and trust in a fake Jesus is nothing less than Satan at work through the spirit of the Antichrist. And so he wants us to know Jesus not for who we want him to be, but for who he's revealed himself to be. And that Jesus, the Jesus that we find in God's word is a Jesus who saves that's a Jesus who transforms. That's a Jesus who sustains and holds us to the end. That's a Jesus worth worshiping. That's a Jesus worth centering your life on. That's a Jesus worth internalizing. And that's the Jesus we want to know. So at Redeemer, I promise you this. You will always know Jesus for who he is from the preaching of God's word from the center of this room. We will not become progressive. We will not reshape him. Even if it offends people, leads to one-star reviews on Google, I don't care. I will give God not just my life, I will give God my reputation to stand firm on what's true because this Jesus is our only hope in life and death. This Jesus is the only one who saves. I don't think I've ever been clapped for before. Um, <laughs> but that's encouraging to know that that's who we are. That's who we're going to be. And when we know that Jesus, the beauty of it is that we're going to go out into the world and give it to others. If we know Jesus, we're, we're not going to contain it. It's going to go out and it's going to make the world a more beautiful place. 
And so that's good news. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to respond. God, thank you for your word. God, I, I know that there is a spirit at work that wants us to hope in something less than who you are. And God, I, I confess it feels weird to say terms like antichrist in our culture, but God, John's language was strong, and we should feel the weight of it. We should feel that this presence is still at work today with people who want to deceive. But God, you are only hope in life and death, and we want to hold fast to you. So God, help us to have a intellectual readiness of knowing who you are through abiding in your teachings. God, help us to have a spiritual readiness through the indwelling of your spirit within us that we can, we can remember what's true and we can discern what's fake. God, help us to stand firm in truth so that we can pass on truth to others, knowing that it is also their hope in life and death. So God, let us be used for your glory. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.